Hey folks, President Biden has said he'd nominate the replacement for Supreme Court Justice Stephen Breyer by the end of the month. What will that look like? Who will it be? In other news, DOJ prosecutors are looking at referrals related to a scheme to subvert the electoral college process and put forth fake pro-Trump electors from states Trump lost in the 2020 election. The January 6th committee also issued subpoenas to individuals who allegedly took part in the scheme. And a judge has rejected a plea deal in the federal hate crime case against the men who were already convicted of killing Ahmaud Arbery in a case in Georgia. Joyce Vance and I discuss all of this and more on the Cafe Insider podcast. Today, we are sharing a clip from the episode with listeners of Stay Tuned. To hear our full conversation and access all other Cafe Insider content, try the membership free for two weeks. You can do that at cafe.com slash insider. That's cafe.com slash insider. We look forward to having you as part of the Insider community. We should also mention something about a case that we've talked about at length. And it's the prosecution of the three men who killed, murdered Ahmad Arbery, who was a jogger in Georgia. All three of them were convicted, obviously, in state court. In Georgia, we had on the Stay Tuned podcast, the lead prosecutor in the case, which was a terrific conversation. But a reminder that the three men were also charged federally with hate crimes. And there was reportedly a resolution of that, where two of the three reportedly pleading guilty to the federal charges, the hate crime charges. But then something went awry. Joyce? So it's worth noting that DOJ doesn't usually prosecute a case following a successful state prosecution. But here they did. There's an exception to that DOJ policy, the petite policy, where another prosecution is necessary to vindicate a federal interest. And your podcast was fascinating to me, Preet, because the prosecutor explains in part her decision not to focus on race in that prosecution. That's why the feds stepped in. It was a hate crimes prosecution. The report was that two of the three had decided to enter into plea agreements. Prosecutors scheduled a change of plea hearing in court for yesterday morning. And then the news emerged that the family was not on board for that change of plea hearing. And it was, I thought I listened to the entire hearing in federal court in the Southern District of Georgia. And it was extremely painful. I'm just going to talk about something that I don't usually talk about because I've been in this same situation. My father-in-law was murdered. There was a federal prosecution. One of the defendants was tried, but there were also plea agreements. And I personally found those plea agreements to be very difficult to swallow because in the first couple of years after his death, which is where Ahmaud Arbery's family is right now, it was very raw and you wanted to see accountability for the loss in your life and you wanted to see it, you know, as hard and as fast as you could get it. And so subtleties like the need to take a plea agreement to get a witness to testify or the certainty that a plea agreement brings, the fact that there's no litigation risk, no possibility of a weird acquittal at trial, and a a certainty of sentence with no appeal, that's sort of lost on you when that's your life and and your loss that you're living through. I think that's what we saw play out in in court yesterday in Georgia. What happened appears to have been a, a miscommunication. The parents felt like DOJ entered into this guilty plea agreement with the two defendants without their consent. 
The prosecutor explained in court that there had been an earlier possible plea agreement that had been rejected because the family was not on board, but that the family's lawyers, the mom and the dad's lawyers, had communicated to DOJ that they were on board for the plea agreement this time. It turns out that there was miscommunication and that that was not true, and the judge rejected the plea, but she didn't reject it for that reason, right? She rejected it for a completely different reason, Preet. Because it took away her discretion to impose whatever sentence she wanted to impose. But just going back to what you're saying about the family, we should make clear that, that there's no hard and fast rule or principle of law that mandates that a victim's wishes or the family of a victim's wishes need to be complied with. You sometimes have multiple family members who have you know, different thoughts. Some might want the death penalty in a capital case. Some might not want the death penalty. But the decision is ultimately left in the hands of prosecutors. And you see that again and again and again. But it's, so it's, it's interesting here that the prosecutors were, were so respectful of the family that they wanted them to be on board, that that seemed to be an important factor in this proceeding through some miscommunication or error they misinformed the court, it seems like, that the family was on board and then they, the family corrected that misimpression. But do you find it unusual for there to have been this much deference to the wishes of the family? And also, the whole issue is what? It's not about the length of the sentence or whether the sentence was soft to be imposed on top of what was going to be a life sentence anyway on the state charges for which they were convicted but simply a matter, I don't mean to minimize this, but simply a matter of where the time would be served and its sort of general understanding that federal prison is a little bit less harsh than state prison. But federal prison is no picnic, especially if you've been convicted of, of homicide. And I just wonder, what's the right way to think about this issue of is justice served by making sure that a defendant for whatever crime is supposed to serve that sentence in the harshest possible prison when there are choices between correctional facilities. You know, this whole argument makes me incredibly uncomfortable because as someone who really believes in prison reform and, and who initiated an investigation into Alabama's prisons that was advanced by my Trump successor in Alabama is now being sued by Justice Department over conditions in its prisons— I think that this was a moment for prosecutors to sit with the family and have a conversation, you know, where you where you listen to the victims, but you also have to explain that that you have a job to do. And it gives me great discomfort, although I understand the family's pain, to see them wanting to see these men stay in Georgia's state prisons. Georgia has now been sued by the Justice Department, similar to the Alabama lawsuit, because conditions in its, its prisons are unconstitutionally harsh. And I think you make this point that prison is prison, this notion that you're going to be locked up for 30 years. That was what this plea agreement proposed. It was a 30-year prison sentence. The judge had no discretion about whether to impose it that feels like justice. It obviously didn't feel like justice to this family. But the point you make is correct. The outcome of a prosecution is not up to the victims, not up to the family. They don't control whether a case gets indicted. They don't control what the charges are. They don't control whether or not a plea agreement is accepted. And they don't control the sentence. And that's extraordinarily difficult for you. 
when you're a family member and a victim. And, you know, DOJ has rules that it has to follow. There's a Victim Witness Act. It gives victims the opportunity to make statements at certain points in proceedings, at guilty pleas and at sentencing. But DOJ is also required to consult with them. And I think what happened here underlines the importance of not just engaging with the family's lawyers, but of making the effort to engage with family members themselves. I'm not being critical of DOJ, by the way. I thought the the prosecutor in Southern Georgia was amazing in court yesterday. She explained forthrightly what had happened. She made it clear that she felt for the family and for the loss of their son, and there's no doubt in, in my mind that she was serious. And she pretty squarely placed the blame on the family's lawyers, not on family members. So where does that leave us? So the the judge has rejected the guilty plea, and what she told the defendants in court was that they had two choices, that they could either continue to plead guilty, but with no agreement. That would mean that the judge would have total discretion over sentencing. And she said, I could sentence you to more than 30 years or less than 30 years. It'll be in my discretion. Or she gave them the option of withdrawing their guilty pleas and proceeding to trial. So big unknown. I think that there's another hearing on Friday. The defendant's lawyers asked for a little bit of extra time to talk with their clients to make that decision. Obviously, this trial for the third defendant, Roddy Bryan, is still set for February 7. So the government is prepared to go and we'll know more after Friday. And just remember, for the father and son defendants who are considering this plea opportunity, none of this really matters at the end of the day unless the state court conviction is overturned somehow on appeal. They're going to prison for life, no matter what. The federal prosecution is both expressive of the federal government's view of the conduct, and including, you know, a statement and a finding that the killing was racially motivated and was a hate crime. I think you make a good point. And as an appellate lawyer, I would be in favor of taking this plea deal every day, not just because there's an appeal waiver in the federal plea. That means that there's no possibility of appealing the federal conviction, but also because all of the acknowledgement that these Thanks for listening. To hear the full episode, head to cafe.com slash insider and try out the membership free for two weeks. That's cafe.com slash insider. To the many of you who have chosen to join the insider community, thank you for supporting our work. 